I found it interesting. How many of you already tried circling stuff on that sheet you got this morning? All right, okay, it's okay. Nobody, you're not in trouble. How many try? <laughs> how many already circled stuff? Y'all, it, it brought me back a while ago. They asked me. They said, "When are we supposed to circle the answers on this thing?" I said, "Just hold on to it. Don't do nothing with it yet. You'll understand in a little bit why I wanted you to have that sheet." But uh, it brought me back to a time in in school when I was in high school. I was one of them people that I, I never studied, not because I was super smart, because I was super lazy in studying. And um, I didn't like to study, so I would always just get the paper and do the best I could and hope for the best and, and hope that sports carried me through. But one time we was in school and, and the teacher said, listen, make sure you read the directions. Just read the directions. And I'm sitting back there. This happened to be the only time I may have studied in 12 years of school. And um, so the test gets passed out. And I'm like, man, forget the directions. I'm facing the answer. I, I got this memorized and I'm going to pass this thing on my own. And so everybody's getting up and turning their papers in. And I'm thinking... The one time I study, I'm still the slowest one in the, on the test. And I'm just standing there. And when I turn mine in, everybody's looking at me like, what took you so long? And she, and she begins to read the instructions. And she said, I told y'all before the test, read the instructions. And, I, and, and then I, I look back at the page and it said, put your name on the sheet and turn it in. That's the whole test. And so I failed the only test I was supposed to pass. So when I gave you that this morning, I was waiting for somebody to say, well, I've already circled it. I've already answered it this morning. I already know what to put on it, but don't do that because you're going to answer it the wrong way. Don't do that. Don't, don't answer it just yet. But uh, if you take notes, go ahead and take your note sheet out. I'm going to help you with some things this morning. I wanted to, to, to pray through a, a mini series called Things Jesus Never Said. I happen to have come up a different way than a lot of people in pastoral work and ministry to where I learned a lot of things by man. Um, I was I was persuaded a lot by man and what man thought about the gospel and what man thought about doctrine and, and theology and all these things and only to find out later that some of the things that I thought was right Jesus never said some of the things that I told people was one way Jesus never said and you know that's a that's a big issue in church today because there's a lot of things that people hear about church and about Jesus and that's not what he said he may have said something like it, but it's not what he said. So I want to take us through a journey because have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say something and, and, and you know the answer to what they said, but you stop for a minute and like, man, did he really say that? Like, is that, is that really what he said? Only to find out that's not what they said. Only to find out that you was just thinking on it too hard and that's not what he said. So did God really say? Go all the way back to Genesis. First thing that, that happens. Did God really say? Did God really say you would die if you took of this? Did, did he really say this? So I wanted to help you with some things this morning, and we're going to read them on the screen. Did, did, these are some things that when you watch Facebook and, um, and you watch Instagram, or they call it IG or, or Snapchat and all these things that they have for social media, these are some of the things you see posted, and I read some of them sometimes, and these are funny, and then I don't know if anybody ever posted these being serious or not. Probably so. But um, some of the things I read, I'm like, man, there ain't no way. I'm going to read that for myself. Ain't no way Jesus said that. Ain't no way that's what that means. So look at this one right here. He says, in teaching them to obey whatever they like best from what I said. Jesus never said that. Just take the red words, the red letters, and whatever you like best for your life, just use those. He never said that. Maybe this is your best life now. Live your dreams. Unleash your full potential. Buy material goods and make yourself happy. <laughs> Jesus never said that. That's nothing that he ever said. What about you do you and I'll do me? How many people say that? Christians, you do you 
and I'll do me. Well, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that was something we could do. What about get with the times and not Jesus? What about, look, we, we're trying to be relevant. Well, there's a difference between relevancy and truth and, and, and a balance between them. Get with the times. What about this one right here? Your sins are forgiven. Feel free to continue leading a sinful life. So I set you free so that you can be in sin. Stay with her. Don't, don't take this. Stay with her until you get sick of her. Then find a new one who is prettier or easier to get along with. Luke 16 and 18. Did Jesus say that? No, Jesus never said that. But talk to certain people and they'll believe that's what the gospel says. Talk to certain people and they believe that's how it, how it reads. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Watch this. Unless you rather stay at home and simply like, comment, and share about me on your computer, I'm down with social media too. Jesus never said that. <laughs> but we see that today. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe. They're for harvest. But if you don't have time, I understand you're busy. I just thought it would be a good idea. That's all. Jesus never said that. Deny your neighbor. Take up your comfort and follow your dreams. Jesus never said that either. What about this one? This one, my favorite one. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you? Then share that on Facebook posts. If you don't share this chain, you don't love Jesus. And they got the little picture of the devil and Jesus. And it's like, if you don't share this, you don't love him. Jesus never said that. Jesus don't care about your Facebook. Things Jesus never said. Listen, this is what I'm trying to say is these days it's easy to see life the way we want to. These days it's easy to see life the way we want. We can filter our images. We can pick the news we want to hear. We can listen to the viewpoints of people that agree with us. If I don't agree with you, I can get on YouTube and find somebody who agrees with me. I can get on Facebook and say something and get somebody to agree with me. So we're in a, we're in a society where I can get all these things to line up where we, we distort, and what happens is we distort the whole world's view. We distort things, and, and things begin to come out that's not true, and things begin to be said that's not true, and the gospel's the same way, because if I don't see the things the way Jesus said them, then I will distort my view of God. And when I distort my view of God, I will begin to say and do things that's going to distort the view of others about who God is. So I have to make sure, did Jesus really say it? Let me show you some things. Y'all ready for this? I got seven for you, and I'm going to move quickly with them, I promise. I got to move quickly with them. Number one, church don't matter. Church doesn't matter. Jesus never said that. Church doesn't matter. You ever heard people say, I heard a guy tell me one time, he said, it don't matter if I go to church or not. Church don't matter. It don't matter if I go in there. I can just have church where I'm at. Church don't matter. Because of the concept that we understand that we are the church, we believe that church don't matter. That because I know that I am part of the body and, and, that, and that I am a part, I am a part of the church or the bride of Christ, I believe that I don't have to go to church. But let me help you. The Bible in, in Hebrews, the writer said, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. Now, let me help you because I'm fully aware and I fully believe that this brick and mortar building don't make up the church. I fully believe the building has zero to do with it. But I do believe with all my heart that you and I are the church and that we ought to be assembling in some form of worship together. Whether it be in this building, in a house, in a place of worship, wherever you are, we ought to be assembling because church matters. But it don't matter, Pastor. Church matters. Let me tell you a few reasons why I believe that church matters. 
I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for the church. I believe that he purchased her with his own blood. If that be the case, then church matters to Jesus. Would you die for something and purchase it with your own blood and not care anything about it? No, you would care about it. You would care about it assembling together. You would care about it being done and held together the right way. But here's the thing. I also believe that Jesus is the head of it. If church doesn't matter, why did he point out that he is the head? Ephesians 5 and 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's not my message today. For the husband is the head of the wife. But listen to what it says right here. Just as Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of it. He died for it. He purchased it with his own blood. He's the head of the church. Church matters to Jesus. Church matters to Jesus. Another reason I would believe that is because he said he would build it himself. Matter of fact, he said that I'll build it and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16. Who do people say the son of man is? They replied, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? See, look, here's the thing, churches, the world has its own distorted view of who God is, of who they think he is and what they think he done or, and, and, and what he accomplished on Calvary. But here's the thing. He asked, he said, what do people say? Well, they say this. Well, people will tell you that church don't matter. But watch what he followed up with it. Who do you say that I am? People have a view. And, 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 and Jesus knew that. But he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He said, but my father, which is in heaven and upon that rock, upon that revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church matters. Jesus was saying, I'm going to build it on such a foundation. There'll be so much revelation. There'll be so much wisdom. There'll be so much knowledge. There'll be so much power within the church and the body as it assembles together that the gates of hell can't even shake it, much less prevail against it. Church matters. There's something about getting in the room together. There's something about worshiping together. I don't care if it's two, three people. There's something about getting together and lifting the name of Jesus and being the church. Because the church isn't brick and mortar. And that's why in the society we live in today, it's become this thing about online church. And I think that live stream is great because there are people who can't make it a church for various reasons. But it was never meant to take the place of assembling together in fellowship. It was never meant to take the place of people coming together and lifting the name of Jesus together because church matters. Jesus never said that it didn't matter. I can give you a, a quick analogy. If he's the head of the church and, 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 and how important is it for, for the body and the church to be here together, every part of the body has a specific work. Everybody in this room has a place within the body that you are fulfilling a role for the kingdom. Here's the thing. If you take a football team that has a quarterback, he's the one that really guides the whole thing. He's the star. He's normally got the head. He's got everything going in the right direction. He knows what needs to happen, what needs to do. What happens if one day the quarterback shows up and it doesn't show up and tells the team, I just ain't coming today. I don't feel like. Is the team going to be as successful? Is the team going to carry on without the one who holds that spot? See, we don't think about that in church today because, Pastor, I'm just the greeter, but you're part of the team. You're the quarterback of the team. Because on God's eyes and God's level, we're all equal. The pastor is no greater than the greeter. So if the greeter doesn't show up and says, I'm just going to stay home today because church don't matter, that position drops. 
the quarterback of that position drops. If the pastor says, I'm going to stay at home, that position drops. Church has always mattered to Jesus. Jesus never said church didn't matter. Point number two is this. Don't lose the debate. Lose the person. Jesus never said it. Don't lose the debate, pastor. Lose the person. How many can say this morning, I'll raise my hand first, that you're guilty of getting in a debate with somebody about Scripture that went nowhere? You, you've debated it. You, you, you've argued about it. You've went back and forth about it. And neither one of you think anything different than the way it started. Debating. Don't lose the debate. Lose the person. How many are, are, are guilty of saying that I believe in that moment that if I could go back and think of it again, I would have spent more time trying to open the door to pray for that person rather than debate with that person? See, Jesus never said the debate mattered. He never said debate it and lose the person. I believe that there's times that we have to stand bold with all my heart. I believe there's times we have to stand up for what is right. There's times we have to preach for what is right and we have to say the things we say. But I never believe that, that the debate is more important than the person. All through ministry, we were talking about this in grow class this morning that I can go back time after time after time again. Me and, me and Sister Jennifer, and, and, and I can see so many times that I had an opportunity that God had put somebody in front of me to really display the love of Christ to. And I took the opportunity to push beliefs on and to push different things that I thought they, they needed to hear and push these things against them. And I never got to pray for that person. I never got to really witness to that person. And I lost the person and won the debate. I let the person go just so I could feel right about the debate. But watch what 1 Corinthians 13 says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move a mountain, but I don't have love, he says, I'm nothing. He says, if I, if I give all and I possess to the poor and, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, he said, I've gained nothing. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I can be the smartest there is in scripture. I can have all the gifts that God can give. I can have all the knowledge of the things. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. I just sound like a symbol that's beating. I just sound like something that's making a lot of noise but making no progress. Do I lose the debate or do I lose the person? Watch this. Paul said it like this in Titus 3 and 9. He said, but avoid foolish debates genealogies, contentions, and arguments about the law, for they are unprofitable and they're useless. You know what Paul was really saying? Kind of what he was saying when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And he told them, he said, I've worked all things that I have. I, I, I'm not lazy. I've done my own things. He said, but I really did it to be a role model for you. And that word model comes from the Greek word typos, T-Y-P-O-S, which where we get our English word type, which means to type. But see, the problem with that in biblical times, they didn't have typewriters. They had paper and they would put seals and impressions on them. So what Paul is saying to them is he's saying that I have, I have an impression. I've been a role model. I've made an impression on you. But what happens if the seal that they pressed out on the paper that goes out to all the churches has misspelled words and miscommunicated, miscommunicated information? What happens is, is you have a bunch of people that have been misled because they got the wrong impression. And Paul said, I've come to be a role model. I've come to be an impression for you. So the impression that people need to see is the impression that we care more about them than we do the debate. 
Paul said, I, I, I've, got, I've got all these things, but, but I love more than I do these things. There's a story of a man that I read that, was an, that, that encountered an atheist. Here's the thing. He knew whenever he was going into the conversation that the guy was an atheist. And what he could have done, he said, I, I, I could have just approached it right away and told him why I believe my God is right and why I believe what he believes is wrong. He said, it would have been so easy for me to do that. He said, but instead, I chose to say, regardless of what you think about God and regardless of what I believe about God, can I pray for you? The prayer opened to another prayer. And that prayer opened to another prayer. And that opened to a conversation. And that opened to a phone call that came another prayer. And eventually, guess what? The atheist became a believer. There was a time for it. Because we say this all the time, that people really don't care what you know until they know that you care. So think about it like this. I look at the times where I have friends who are different denominations, different backgrounds, different beliefs. But one thing they've always believed in is our prayer life. One thing they've always believed in is, is, is the, the move of the spirit in the non-denominational churches and the prayer life of the believers. So although we don't agree on a lot of things that are doctrinal, I find it interesting because we don't spend time debating about what he believes and I believe, and we spend more time loving one another and being there and encouraging one another that when things come down to it and he has a need in his life, I find it funny that even though we don't agree, the phone rings. Can you pray for him? Can your church pray for him? Because it's never about the debate. It's always about the person. It's always going to be about the person. Jesus never said that we need to win the argument. Matter of fact, he said, I'll make you fishers of men. Matter of fact, he said, I'll make you disciples. That you'll go and teach the whole world. That you'll make these disciples. You'll do the same thing I'm doing. Not arguments. So I'm, I, I say in that point to this. How many times have you had the opportunity to show love and you chose debate? You, cho you had the opportunity to show love and you chose argument. Because I don't believe you should do that. And I don't believe you should do that. I get it. But I do believe that you should love. I do believe that if you just let the door open just a little bit, eventually the conversation may come. But if you slam the door shut from day one, forget the conversation. Forget the, forget it, forget it. They don't want to hear anything anymore. Because they feel like everything in their life is wrong, right? Come on, stay with me. Point three, heaven only requires a good person. Jesus never said that. As a pastor, and, 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 and funerals are not my thing, I promise you. Um, but I've had to do them. And I have done funerals with pastors that I don't know, but they were leading it, and I was co-pastoring or co-leading with them, co-officiating. And I have listened multiple times of people try to preach somebody into heaven on the basis of a good man, on the basis of a good woman. Their life was great, Pastor. You don't realize they'd give the shirt off of their back. They were good people. They made great decisions in life. They always were there for people. They were good people. And, and, and what I'm saying is, is that heaven only requires being a good person. Essentially, that's the message that I'm saying, but Jesus never said that. Yes, Jesus loved sinners, but he was never tolerant of sin. Jesus absolutely loved sinners. Jesus absolutely would sit down with a sinner in a minute and love on them and eat with them and fellowship with them. And, and he would do anything he could to reach. But he never tolerated it. And he never agreed to it. 
And he never said that they would be all right if they continued in it. Jesus was never tolerant. As a matter of fact, in John 6 and 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up in the last day. He, he didn't say that you can come to me if you're a good person. He didn't say to me that you can come to me if you've done good works and good deeds. He said, no man can come to me unless the father has drawn him. And when the father draws, he's drawing through conviction and conviction requires repentance. So good deeds and good works was not what made heaven. Luke chapter 18, verse, verse 19, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, he said, no one's good except God alone. There are many good people that's going to make hell their home and their final destination because they didn't accept Jesus. There's many people that did great works and great things, but they rejected God. And although he still loves them, he can't tolerate this thing. Why, pastor, would God allow good people to go to hell? God did not allow good people to go to hell. God allowed good people to make a decision that would spend eternity with him and good people decide to reject it and find themselves in a different outcome. Heaven was never meant to be about just good people. Matter of fact, I believe this. I don't believe that God sent his son to die on the cross and to shed his blood to make bad people good. I believe with all my heart that God sent his son to die on the cross and shed his blood to make dead people alive. <laughs> because I was dead in the trespasses of my sin. I, I, was, I deserved death. I, I deserved this outcome. But he comes and he gives his life and he sheds his blood and he takes a dead man from the sins of life and brings him to righteousness alive in Christ. He said, I, did, I didn't come just to make them good. I come to make them alive. I come to make them alive in me. I come to make them who I've called them to be. Listen, John chapter three, verse two. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. That was a problem with Nicodemus right there. The first thing he says is we know. We know that you're a teacher and Jesus is saying, you don't know nothing. You're a teacher, I'm a Messiah. You're a teacher, I'm a savior. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Never said Messiah. You're a teacher. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God was not with him. And Jesus replied this. He says, look, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. No teacher. He's talking to a teacher of the law. He says, you can't, you can't even come with me unless you're born again. No matter how much you know about it. No matter how many times you've preached it to people and, and they've responded, what about you? Have you responded? Have you accepted or have you rejected? Jesus, he never said heaven was about good people. Watch this, number four. This is truly my favorite one as, a, as, as being a pastor. Number four, you don't belong until you have it right. Jesus never said you don't belong, Pastor Derek, until you have it right. You can't serve, Pastor, until you've got it all together. You can't be a part of the team until your life is perfected. Uh, you, you, you can't do anything until it's all right. You can't be a part, Pastor, until you learn to behave. Watch this. Luke chapter 5, one of the favorite ones. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Listen to me. He says, follow me. Remember that. Follow me. Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect 
complained to the disciples. Listen to what they said. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus responds, he said, is it, it he tells them, he said, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners to repentance. Why did I tell you that? Because in, in, in the modern Christianity, so many believe that if I don't have it all together and, and, and if I got anything wrong in my life, I can't be a part. I, I can't do anything. Do, do you think that Matthew was a good tax collector? No, he wasn't. He just made a comment that said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And he had just called Matthew. So do you think Matthew had it all together? No. But I never found in the scripture where he tested Matthew and said, give me all your knowledge of me. I, I never found where he asked Matthew, he said, tell me all the books of the Bible. Tell me that. Tell me everything you know about Revelation. Uh, tell, me, tell me everything you know about the Gospels. Tell, tell me all the words in red. Oh, tell me, tell me the last time you sinned. Oh, tell me the last time you put makeup on. T tell me the last time you put jewelry on. T tell me the last time you wore some shorts or a cutoff. T tell me the last time you did these things. <laughs> he said, follow me. And the man got up and followed him and watch how he did this. He went and put through a party. I believe it was a block party. It probably had crawfish, root beer, jambalaya, gumbo. I believe he had it all figured out. This Jesus is the man and we're going to do it right. He went and threw a party for him. And guess who he invited? Sinners. And Jesus walked up in there like, hey, party for me. You know why? Because he knew his presence was going to change the life of those in the room. He didn't walk in and say, Matthew, now you... You're getting a little beyond yourself, son. I don't know about this party. I don't know about these things. All these people in here live some bad lives. I don't know what we're doing standing in the midst of all these people. You need to find some people that got it all together. You, you need to find some people that's got it all right. He never said that. He said, follow me. And he got up and he followed. First, can I tell you something? One of the hardest problems getting people to church today is because when they walk in the door, they think they have to behave to belong. They walk through the door and they think that, oh man, I ain't got it together like these people. This ain't a place for me. Do you realize that every person that walks through those front doors of this church or any church in, in that matter understands that their life is not perfect? Do you realize that I walk through those doors every Sunday, Wednesday, Monday through Friday at work and realize that my life is not perfect? that I am thankful for a God that applies grace to my life and is long suffering with me and is patient with me and allows me to make some, some, some decisions that probably I should have made a different decision and, and, and to do things to where he can correct me and, and grow me and love on me. But the big question about the whole party was, is I find in church that the people who come to church at the beginning who we say don't have it all together invite the most people. I find that people who's been in church the longest invite the least. That we just assume that people's gonna kick the door down in the church. But the reason that people who first start coming to church invite the most people because they feel like they belong. And they're surrounded by people who they want to feel the same way because found people find people. Come on, found people, find people. If I'm saved or I'm, I'm being saved and, I, and I'm waiting on the return of the Lord, I ought to be finding some people who are not. I shouldn't just be knocking on the door of the one who I know is going to say yes to come to church. I need to knock on the door to the one that's probably going to shut it in my face. 
I need to tell the one that, that has his life completely wretched and say, I'm telling you, if you'll just come and give it a try, you're going to like it more than you think. But I also believe that saved people serve people. But you can't serve somebody if you think they have to have it all right to belong because nobody in this room has it all right. Nobody. Nobody in any church in America, you can't find me one person that has it all together. You can't find me one pastor, pastor one bishop, one, one, one anything that has it all together. You can't. God's working on us every day. And I don't believe Jesus ever said that because this was real. And I want you to know something. Your job and my job is not to change people. Come on, church had that twisted for years. Jesus never said that. If somebody comes into this service this morning, and let me just go for what people believe and only want to point out certain sins in the society we live in. Let's go to the worst ones that, that are pointed out. If somebody comes into this building this morning and is a homosexual, it's not my job to change them. It is my job to preach Christ and to lead them to a Jesus that if they fall in love with Jesus, Jesus will change who they are. If I could change a person that comes to that door, I would have never needed Jesus myself. I would have never lived a sinful life myself. I would have been able to change all my own situations and circumstances, and I would have never needed a Savior. We lead people, we love people, and we let Jesus change people. He never said you had to have it all together to belong. Point five. Point five. There is no coverage for pre-existing conditions. Jesus never said I was thinking back, I was like, what kind of story can I come up with or find that somebody could tell? And then God said, you got your own story. One time, years ago, when my wife was pregnant, one time. <laughs> At this time, we had said we didn't want to have no more kids. So the maternity package on the insurance would raise it. So I took it off, right? So she, we find out she's pregnant so I call the insurance guy and I'm like listen man <laughs> I need this maternity coverage back on my insurance and he said well who's it for and I said, if it was me I wouldn't need the coverage because I'd be rich because that's, that's impossible but it's my wife it's my wife I need you to put it back on there and he says oh man pregnancy is a pre-existing condition and I'm like what it's a pre-existing condition so I don't have no coverage I don't have no coverage for my wife because I took it off for a couple months and here she is pregnant and now I, I'm on my own. I thank God that we don't serve a God that has pre-existing conditions in his coverage. I'm thankful that when we go through things in life and it doesn't matter if we're on stage four, five of six of the, the cancer report, if there's even that many stages, but it doesn't matter what stage we're on. We serve a God that doesn't have prerequisites or pre-existing -pre condition clauses in his coverage of who we are. I thank God this, that it don't matter if I was born blind. It don't matter if I've been bleeding for 12 years. It don't matter if I've been dead for four minutes, four weeks, or four days. I serve a God that does not have pre-existing conditions or clauses in the coverage for my life and my health. That he's not going to tell me that, Derek, you dealt with that situation for so long and you never turned it over to me, so I can't cover it. It's pre-existing. I'm only going to cover the things from here on. 
I thank God that he says, I'm going to take care of all of it. I'm going to wash all the sins away. Every one you ever had, every pre-existing you ever had, every condition you faced, every circumstance you faced, I'll heal it all. I'll change it all. I'll transform it all. He said, there's not a clause in there that's going to separate you from anybody else that's being drawn to me. Jesus never said there was pre-existing conditions for who we were and who we are coming to him. Let me help you. Luke chapter 8, we've seen it perfect. We've seen a woman that comes in and, and, and is not even supposed to be amongst anybody where she is. She's defying all the laws and all the traditions and all the rituals of her time. And she steps over traditions and she steps over doubt and she steps over those who are confused by her actions. And she steps over all the reports that she had been given that nothing would ever help her. And she steps over the fact that she wasted all her money and she brings herself low until she finds her faith touching something that was touching him. And in that moment, he says, thy woman, your faith has made you whole. There wasn't a worse pre-existing condition than what she had. And Jesus said, because your faith has touched something that was touching me. Do you realize how important it is for you to be touching him? Sometimes it's a matter of them touching what's touching him. Sometimes the one that we're trying to debate with, it's only a matter of them touching what's touching him. Their situation, their condition, their circumstance is a matter of them touching what is touching him. You can go even further in John chapter 9 where the man was born, born blind from birth. And they asked him, they said, what's, what sin did this man commit? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus like, well, nobody. It's for the glory of God. And see, we get in life and these circumstances happen and we get, we get sick and we face all these things and all of a sudden we think that it's something that I have done is the reason why I'm going through this. And really it's just seeds that were planted that are going to manifest for the glory of God in your life. He said, it's, it's not that he did anything. It's not that you've done anything. It's not that anybody sinned. It's not that your parents did something to you. It's the fact that it has to be manifested for the glory of God. Come on, y'all awake this morning? Jesus didn't say it. Jesus didn't say there's, there, there's clauses. Matter of fact, he says, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God for him, nor shall there be after me. I thank God that we serve a Jesus that does have a preexisting. I thank God that the Savior we served was preexisting, that he said there was nobody before me. Before the foundations of the world, I preexisted, and there'll be nobody after me. Before your situation, he was there. And after your situation, he's still going to be there. There's no clauses with Jesus. Point number six, worship team, join me. They get what they deserve. <laughs> oh, boy, if that was true. Jesus never said it. Karma. They're going to get what they deserve, pastor. Jesus never said it. Matter of fact, Karma says that you get what you deserve. Jesus says, I'm going to give you what you need. But they deserve that, Pastor. Grace is getting what we need, not what we deserve. Grace. Fact check this on the internet. We all deserve death. Fact checked it. Every one of us in this room this morning, every foot that has treaded on this nation, deserve death. Through our sins, we choose death and we reject God. 
But God's grace through his son, we receive what we need and he takes what we deserve. Can you imagine that march to Calvary? Knowing he didn't deserve it. Could you imagine being falsely trialed? Come on. Somebody come in here this morning and grab you by your arms and take you out in front of them doors and say, it don't matter what you say, what you do, you're going with me. But I didn't do nothing, but you're coming with me. But, but, the, but they really did it. But you're going to be the one that takes it. Can you imagine that walk this morning? When Jesus encountered people in their lives that had sin, he never wrote them off. He never gave them what they deserved. Matter of fact, he applied grace. And don't get me wrong, he spoke truth as well. But the reason I tell you that is because I know this, that truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. So I believe there's a balance in that. And I believe Jesus was the perfect example. But I truly believe that Jesus never intended for anybody to get what they deserved. Matter of fact, we can fact check it again. Matter of fact, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, they truly deserve to be where I am, but forgive them, because they know not what they do. And the last one, y'all ready for this one? This is the hardest one to swallow. You don't need to forgive them. Jesus never said it. You don't need to forgive them. Now, before you write me off, and before you close me out, because this is sensitive to many people, I know the pain in your life is real. I fully understand that they hurt you, and I know this situation exists. And really, I'm not here to put a Band-Aid on an open wound. But my question is, are you? Do you have scars that show that you've been healed? Or do you have Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid that proves you have open wounds? Jesus never said that you couldn't forgive him. Watch this. Matter of fact, in Matthew 6 and 9, he says, then this. They asked Jesus, they said, can you teach us how to pray? What a God we serve. And watch how he shows them to pray. He says, then this is how you should pray. Watch how he opens it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. But the next part doesn't say, forgive us our debts though we still hold grudges against others. Forgive me for what I've done, but I'm not going to forgive nobody else for what they've done. Matter of fact, it says this, for if you forgive other people, there's a word in their church that's critical, for if, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive you. Do you realize there are Christians today that are not forgiven? Let 
me get closer. Do you realize that there are Christians that are not forgiven? Not because they don't love Jesus. Not because they don't pray. Not because they don't read their Bible and they don't study. Not because they don't show up at church. Not because they don't serve. Not because they don't pay their tithes. Not because they don't give. Not because, because they don't forgive. He said, if, if, if you forgive, my Father will forgive you. Talking about forgiveness creates a great series of emotions, and I get it. Pastor, forgiveness is hard. I get it. So let me help you this morning. Will you take that sheet out I gave you? you just take it out listen to me let me give you a disclaimer I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to ask you to say anything I'm not going to ask you to write your name on it I don't want you to give it to me I don't want you to do nothing right now I want you to listen to what I'm reading and if anything on that sheet applies to you circle it if anything at all if all of it applies gonna read some things maybe a spouse cheated maybe a best friend lied maybe you experienced emotional hurt maybe you've experienced physical hurt what about church hurt what about sexual hurt maybe dad walked out maybe mom walked out Maybe someone you admired so much let you down. Maybe that person never paid you what they owed you. Or maybe they just broke a promise to you. Better yet, maybe they used you for their benefit. Or how about this one? Maybe you've devoted your whole life to get your parents approval. And every time you felt they were absent. Will you just think for a minute and circle it? I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Can you fold that sheet up in as many squares as you can? Just fold it up. Really quick, just fold it up. And I need everybody to participate. I really do. you folded that page up in as many squares as you can will you do me a favor pass that thing to your right and keep passing it out to out until you can no longer see where your paper went just keep passing it. give it to somebody just keep sending it around the church until you don't know where that sheet is you filled out just send it around you don't know where it's at you don't know who's got it you don't know who's reading it you don't know your name's not on it just pass it around
Sometimes in church, we get so caught up on the things that Jesus never said. That we don't even realize what's in the room that we're sitting in. Sometimes we get so caught up on the things that he never really had much thought about. That we don't even realize who's sitting next to us. We don't even realize what they're going through. Have you passed it enough? You don't know where it's at? Everybody that's holding one, open it. Who's got them all? Now give them back. Now keep them. I just didn't want you to have yours or know where yours is at. Now you definitely don't. So give everybody one. <laughs> me in school. Y'all the ones that got everybody else in trouble. I want everybody that we hold one of those sheets. Because what you're fixing to do is the person's sheets you're holding may not have the courage to stand up and say that was me. They may not have the courage to say Pastor, I'm going to bring it to the altar myself. So what I want you to do is this. I want you to open it. If you got one, I want you to open it. As I read this list one more time, if that word is circled on the page you hold, I just want you to stand up. I know it's not your sheet. I want you to stand up and stand in the gap for somebody in this room. So when I read it, just stand up. You don't have to do anything else. A spouse that cheated. A best friend that lied. Stay standing, stay standing. You experienced emotional hurt. You experience physical hurt. You experience church hurt. You experience sexual hurt. Dad walked out. Mom walked out. You admired someone and they let you down. They owed you something but they never paid it to you they broke a promise to you they used you for their own benefit you devoted your life to your parents approval and when you needed them they were absent you just look around the room for a minute how important is makeup now how important is jewelry now how important is what I should wear how important are all these things that Jesus didn't harp on how important is it now that you see a room filled with people that are hurting how important is the guidelines of church now How important is forgiveness? How important
person is getting back at somebody and saying, you're going to get what you deserve. How important are these things that Jesus never said? Now that you see the hurt that sits in the very room you're standing in, can we all stand to our feet? that in that scripture that they asked Jesus how to pray Jesus started it off and he said our father our father he didn't say my father he said our father because I know something as a father I know yesterday in the car for two hours my kids fought and I know it frustrated me to hear my kids fight in the back of the car I know it makes me feel a lot better when they get alone in the back of the car that's why Jesus said, our Father. Because it truly brings it all together that the very people that we are standing next to are not just a person that attends church with you. They are your brother and they are your sister and you share the same Father. And I believe that when he said that, he was saying this, that bring these things to Dad, bring these things to the Father that I can help you get these things under control. Forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. And I want to tell you what Dave Willis said, and we're going to close it. He said, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong, it makes you bitter. And forgiving doesn't make you weak, it sets you free. But can I add to that? In order for you to be set free this morning, you need to realize the prisoner is us. That in the midst of forgiveness, they're not the prisoner. I am. Because forgiveness was never meant to be about the other person. Forgiveness was meant that I could be set free from the shackles of my yesterday. That I can walk in the freedom of my tomorrow. Forgiveness is not about the other person. One more time. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Can I close with this scripture? Genesis 50. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good. Can I tell you that everything on that sheet you're holding, the enemy's intending to harm somebody. And God said, but this morning is for the good. Maybe they wouldn't bring it to the altar. But I believe that church was so important to Jesus that it's the very vehicle that he carries the kingdom forward in. And if you believe that this morning, that means you have to be a carrier of his work. And pastor, I'm not ready to bring my issues to the altar. No, no. But can you bring the ones in your hands to the altar this morning? may not be ready pastor to let go but can you bring those can, can you find a place with that sheet in your hand 
and know that there's somebody in this room you don't even know who they are but you know they're in this room that's experiencing some pain and some hurt can you bring that somewhere in this building and put it down and lay your hands on it and say God I am standing in I am standing in the gap for somebody in this room and we'll take it a step further if you lack forgiveness this morning ready to make that move? Do you realize that if I have known unforgiveness and have walked my life the best I can, that it could end today? And if is going to play a factor in my life. If I forgave. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you say, you know what, Pastor, I didn't know. I thought I had to behave first to belong. But the Bible says that if you will Bring and confess your sins to him. And he's just, he's faithful, church. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Church, he will save you this morning. He will put you on a journey to a way better life. Will it be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. So as we pray this morning, you've got somebody's life in your hands. You've got somebody's situation in your hands this morning. I can choose to do through things I'm not I'm not being too hard about this but I can choose to say I don't care about their life and leave it right there where I sit or I can say you know what somebody's hurting and I'm a carrier of his love I'm fixing to pray for that person come on as we pray if you feel the need to lay that sheet on the altar this morning can you lay that sheet on the altar can you just pray for that person Maybe you say, Pastor, I want to stay in my seat. Can you just reach out and pray for the person next to you? Father, we love you this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that the things that you never said are of no importance. We thank you that we can see clearly, God, that there are needs amidst us every time we enter a building, every time we enter a place in public, every time we face to face with somebody, God, there's a need that needs to be met. We thank you this morning, God, that you've given us the ability to forgive this morning, God, to humble ourselves in all humility and say, God, no matter what I felt they deserve, no matter how bad it was, no matter what they've done to me, they deserve to be forgiven. They deserve to feel the freedom. I deserve to walk in true freedom with you. They deserve to experience your love this morning the way that I have. Do you have scars from healing this morning? Or do you have band-aids from open wounds?